following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. You would open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter number 3. Jonah has proven to be wonderfully clear in its presentation of both the nature of God as well as the gospel itself. Uh, We have seen the inescapable God. We have seen the merciful God. And uh, we, next week, will look at the infallibility of God. But this week, we're going to take a look at the gracious God, the gracious God. Grace and mercy is where most false doctrines and false churches, false beliefs, um, false religions, is where they typically get things messed up. And in the idea of grace and mercy, that's where they find their erroneous beginnings. It's a complete misunderstanding of the two that leads to these false beliefs where mercy and grace are not one and the same. Mercy is the, uh, the not receiving of a punishment or a calamity that is due to us, and grace being receiving a blessing that is not due, that is in no way deserved. And so many, uh, many religions and false, false religions, they have a good understanding of mercy, but they miss it when it comes to the idea of grace and gaining something that we do not deserve we have to earn it in our own rights. Stand with me, if you would, as we, as we read Jonah chapter number 3. Jonah chapter number 3, starting in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock um, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said uh, that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Thank you, Father, for your word, that it is sufficient, that it gives to us everything that we need to live a life pleasing unto you. Help us to learn something from it this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, if if you look at the passage before us, we can quickly overlook many things. But if we take just a moment to uh, let our eyes fall on a few of the things that we see here, you'll note very quickly uh, the grace of God, not only to Jonah, but to Nineveh as well. We see the grace uh, uh, of God given to Jonah. We see grace given to Nineveh. We see mercy given to the, uh, them both. But then as we look at this, we're going to notice these things, and then we're going to try to look at a way that we can apply this to our own lives. First, I want us to note at the very beginning in verse number one of chapter three, it says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. And I don't know about you, but I find it comforting that Jonah was given the second chance. Now, I know in my life, I've received at least a couple second chances, if not multiple second hundred chances. And I think that you all can probably say the same. I think every single one probably testify of the goodness and the graciousness of God in giving us multiple chance after chance after chance after chance. And this is one of the things that I love about this, uh, about the account here of Jonah is that it gives to us a good reminder that no matter how far you have fallen, no matter how far you have sunk, no matter how deep the water you find yourself in, no matter what the smelly situation you find yourself involved in, it doesn't matter because God's grace is still sufficient. God's grace can reach to the lowest depths. God's grace and his mercy can get you from whatever miry pit you find yourself in, take you out of that, put your feet on solid ground. This is God's grace we're talking about. Now, the problem is, is that we compare things based on our grace, how gracious we are to people how merciful we are to people, and we think for some reason that God is going to treat us the same way. My friend, I am so thankful God's grace is a whole lot more than my grace because I can can tell you right now, I'm not the most gracious of individuals at times. Thank you. That'll probably be the best amen we get all day. We're merciful quick to hold a grudge. We're quick to get bitter. We're quick to write people off and throw them to the side. God, (laughs) he's in the recycling business, isn't he? He takes the things that are down in the dumps and in the refuse and the ones that the rest of this world has written off and doesn't want to have anything to do with. God is wonderful at taking those as it says again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Second time. 
what a beautiful thought this is. What a wonderful thing. I, I, I want us to really kind of look in on this, knowing what we do about the situation of Jonah here, knowing what we do. Most of us would probably not have used Jonah that time, right? We would have written him off, nope, let's find somebody else who's a a little more trustworthy, someone else who's not going to take off at the first sign of worry, at the first sign of fear, someone who's not going to shirk their responsibility. Let's find someone else. Instead, God says, nope, I'm going to use the guy I wanted to use from the get-go. I'm still going to use him. It's up to him to follow. Most of us would have just written him off. God should be immediately obeyed, and this is something that we ought to uh, really kind of focus in on. As we've been reminded time and time again, God is God and we are not. And something that ought to be seen here in the life of Jonah, we would do well to remember that God is God, and that being God, he should be obeyed immediately. This is something that we learn from Jonah. I mean, my goodness, he takes off running. He doesn't obey the Lord, and what happens? He gets swallowed by a fish. We're not talking about noodling. If you don't know what noodling is, you didn't grow up in the South. It's where you take the fish bait, you put your hand down inside a hole, and you let the fish go on your hand. You pull them out, fish and all. This isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about swallowed completely, all the way engulfed in the repercussions for his sin. He disobeyed God. And what we need to learn today, my friends, is that anything that is not immediate obedience is complete and utter disobedience. The Bible calls us to be immediate in our obedience. Jonah, because he he did not immediately obey God, he deserved the death that was coming. He deserved the storm that God sent. He He deserved it all. But here's what's amazing. When Jonah said no to God, and we can say, well, he didn't actually say no, he just he just walked away. No, by not saying yes, he said no. By doing that, a thrice holy God, the creator of the universe, who has every right to ask anything of anybody, he has every right to this. The moment Jonah said no, he deserved to be struck dead. That's what he deserved. But instead, what happens? God sends a storm to try to get his attention. And here we've got Jonah, and he is happy to choose drowning in the middle of the sea over obeying God. He deserved to drown, but what did God do instead? He sent a fish to swallow him. He deserved to be digested by that fish, but what did God do? He had him thrown up on dry land. (laughs) That, my friend, is grace. Grace. We don't deserve any of it. He didn't deserve to be given that storm. He didn't deserve to be given the opportunity to turn around. He didn't deserve the fish. And he didn't deserve being thrown up. He deserved death. So we see at the very onset of this, the grace of God. Isn't that beautiful? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Man. That's power. Mercy after mercy being shown to Jonah. 
Now this rebellious, disobedient, stubborn, unloving, bitter man is given yet another chance, another call by God to be God's mouthpiece. I've, I've, had, uh, I've had people in, in my past talking about ministry, and I've heard some pastors talk about ministry, some preachers talk about being in ministry as if they owe it to God. And now this is their penance. My my friend, can I let you know something? Serving God is not punishment, nor is it penance for past sins. It is a blessing and it is a gift from the maker. I, I am not making up for lost time. I am not paying God back for all the things that I've done in the past. I'm not trying to make amends, my friends. I am gloriously gifted. I have been given a blessing beyond blessings that God would use me. I know me. You all think I'm difficult to live with. You ought to try living in my body. Fighting the mind I have. I know me and I wouldn't put me in this pulpit. He has. He chose to use me. And he chooses to use you. Think about that. As vile and rotten as we are, God wants to use us. <laughs> Okay, that didn't go over, I guess. As vile and rotten as we are, the maker, the creator, the sustainer, the provider wants to use us. That ought to make every single one of us completely blown away. The thought that he would desire to use me. I'm not trying to make up for lost time in any way, shape, or form. Paul understood this. Paul understood it in Ephesians chapter 3. He talked about it, me being the least. God would use me. But I want us to notice something else with this. Look what it says. Verse number 1 leads into verse number 2. It says, where the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. Beloved, what I I really love to see with this is after Jonah has gone through his well experience, his fish's stomach experience, you know what happens? He obeys. Now, we can look at it from different angles. You know, he's still bitter by the time we get to chapter 4. He still doesn't like the people. He did it grudgingly or whatever it was. At the end of the day, he obeyed. When the word of the Lord came him this time, he obeyed immediately. You may be struggling with something today. You may be having a difficult time with something in your heart today. You may be really struggling with a sin that you're holding on to or a position that you don't want to you, you get out of quite yet. You may be really struggling with something along these lines. And, and the word of the Lord is coming to you today a second time saying, forsake that, get out of that, leave that, 
abandon that. Don't do that. Stop going there. Stop trying that. Stop taking part in that. The word of the Lord is coming to you a second time today. My friend, can I let you know something? The longer you say no and the longer you run from it and the longer you're rebellious, the harder it's going to be to finally give in to him and do what he has asked you to do. Do it now. Well, pastor, this is a difficult one. No, the longer we delay in obeying God, the more difficult it becomes. When you are convicted to change something, do it immediately. Don't delay. Don't delay. When we learn to stop putting things off, to stop making things about our convenience, and to simply obey God, things are going to become a little less chaotic in our life. There's less fish involved. The smell isn't quite as repugnant. And life seems to go the direction we're supposed to be going. But I want us to notice not only God's grace on Jonah in calling him a second time, but I want us to notice what happened as a result of that. Look with me, if you would. It says in verse number four, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth. Note this, from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. Now, we've seen the mercy, we've seen the grace of God on Jonah. Now look at the mercy and grace of God on this pagan city. Pagan city. Both mercy and grace are presented here. This time, it's to the Ninevites. And their evil was such a stench to God that God uh, was, was in his wrath and deservingly so. He, he was uh, uh, about to have to place judgment and cast judgment and, and put out the punishment, yet he sends a warning. And these people did not deserve the warning that they were given. They didn't deserve it. They deserved nothing but the retribution and the punishment of God. They deserve no warning, but God comes and gives them one. I've had people through the years, I've had people ask me different questions uh, uh, from the Bible. Some of them, they're actually curious and they they genuinely want to know. Others, they're uh, they're just trying to cast aspersions against the Lord and trying to prove that he doesn't truly exist. But one of the questions that you get asked a lot is what about those who have never heard? What about those who have never heard the gospel? What about those who have never heard about God? Is God still going to to count them worthy of judgment? My friends, God has revealed himself to all of mankind. The problem is that man is prideful and rejects God's revelation. John 14, 6, I'm sorry, not John 14, 6, that's not John 14, 6, that's the incorrect uh, passage. Romans 1, 20 
says that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. At, at the, you know what? Jump back to Deuteronomy chapter 4 with me so that we can really kind of put this in perspective. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Because undoubtedly, you have wrestled with this in your mind as well. I know I have through the years. I've, I've struggled with some of these things. But here we have in Romans 1.20 that uh, the invisible things are revealed. In other words, the very creation testifies that there is a God. The very creation testifies that we need to know more, that we need to figure this out, that we need to seek him. The very creation testifies of this so that man is without excuse. If you look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, look what it says in verse 29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. There's a promise from the Lord that if we, uh, if we understand the common revelation from, from God to man, that there is a creator and that there is something bigger than me and we genuinely desire to know who that is, we will find him. The problem isn't that there are people who, uh, uh, who have never heard and God didn't give them a chance. No, my friend, the problem is pride and man doesn't want to know who that is. And they reject. They're without excuse, the Bible lets us know. And so I believe wholeheartedly that there was probably some aged mother in, in, in the city of Nineveh who somewhere along the way had heard about the God in Israel, was tired of seeing her babies living in this pagan area, and was maybe perhaps praying, saying, God, you need to send somebody over here for us to know who you truly are, because apparently Dagon is worthless. So God knocks on Jonah's door and says, hey, go preach. You want to know why people are called to foreign mission fields today? They have no ties to this part of the world, but they feel a draw because I believe that there's somebody seeking and God says, you're trying to find me. I'm going to disrupt this guy's life to go get you. And we look at a missionary or a minister of God in some way and think that, oh, bless his heart, he got stuck having to go. Why wasn't I picked? Why wasn't I chosen? God's going to take somebody. What a blessing and what a, what a privilege it is to be picked and chosen by God to deliver the message. That's a blessing. We got to quit looking at ministry. We got to quit looking at these things in these lights. This is this is this is a wonderful opportunity. Instead of standing around going, "Lord, would you send somebody else?" Maybe some of us should be praying, "Lord, why haven't you sent me yet? Why am I not the one being sent? Why am I not the one being called?" 
Maybe we need to start digging a little bit more into that area. Not only this, but the mercy is seen in God intervening prior to their destruction. Beloved, I I talked about it just a little bit a moment ago. If you're struggling with a certain area, maybe you need to get out of a situation or you need to let go of a certain situation, and you're really struggling with it. But you know that God is calling you to change something. You know that God is is dealing with your heart about something. Do you realize that every single day we are given to repent is an act of mercy and grace from God? Every moment that you are given to turn, every moment that you are given another opportunity to repent and follow. That's mercy. That's grace. We don't deserve. Man does not fully obey God at all times, yet does not always experience God's correcting hand. And I've wondered about this many times. You know, why doesn't God just knock a soup out of me when I step out of line, you know? It'd be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? If every time you started to go the wrong direction, God would just spark and kick you to the solar plex, right? Get back in line to yes, sir. That'd be a whole lot easier. And I believe that there's two reasons why sometimes he does not do this. The first reason, I believe, is borne out in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, that God is merciful and he extends mercy to us in order to reveal his patience to other people. So, you're going to forgive him. Maybe you'll forgive me too. But I believe that there's another reason for it. Hebrews chapter 12 bears it out that maybe, maybe somebody's not experiencing the correcting hand of God because they're illegitimate and not truly a child of God. It's a possibility. I believe that those are the two main reasons why God does not knock a snot out of us every time we step out of line. God says, maybe, maybe they're not mine. Or somebody else is going to learn something about my patience by me being just a little more long-suffering with them. We've got to learn to look at the possibles and the probables. But here we have a pagan ignorant, unlearned group recognizing that they deserve justice and they need mercy. The Bible says that they respond. It says, going back to Jonah, chapter 3 again, it says in verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. And they didn't just believe, but they did something about it says that they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. 
And he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he, he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. And many theologians have wondered. I don't think it's a, misunder, it's a mistranslation that God here is in the capital. They were being specific at this state. Not lowercase gods. They knew who they were calling upon. Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God by this point. Call mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? In other words, they recognized what they had coming to them. And they called out for mercy. Beloved, have you recognized what you deserve? You see, we'll never truly call out for mercy until we recognize what we deserve. There's a lot of people today, well, I, I was a pretty good guy. Maybe God didn't have to work as hard to save me as he had to save this guy. No, my friends, we deserve everything that Christ received and more. It says that they believed God, and it says that they humbled themselves. We see this in there, putting on sackcloth and ashes. This was a humbling act. It was, uh, it was meant to uh, be uncomfortable. It was meant to uh, make things difficult. It, it didn't feel good, and it was to remind you. Every time you, you felt that discomfort, you were reminded of the discomfort you caused God by your sin, sitting in those ashes, and, and you it probably would get up in your nose, and you'd start to sneeze, and, and you'd be covered in the filth and the dirt and the grime, and you'd have that, that burlap, that sackcloth on you, and it would just be a, a pain. And then on top of that, they went into fasting. So now, now every time they have a hunger pain, where every time their, their mouth gets dry and they want something to drink, they're reminded of how their sin has come up as a stench before God. They humbled themselves. And it says, from the greatest to the least. In other words, hey, the uh, billionaire, he humbled himself all the way down to the ditch digger. The boss to the low man on the totem pole. The, the fancy lady with all of her bells and whistles and her fancy outfits and the guy in his three-piece suit all the way down to the fella in overalls and water backy in his mouth. All of them woke up. They, an unlearned pagan group of people did this. They turned from their evil ways. The woman trying to gain the eyes of other men covered up. The man looking with lust in his his heart covered his eyes. The people living lives of violence withdrew their hands. The sexually immoral stopped living in sin. They feared God's wrath because it became real to them. 
and now. I want us to understand something else in this. If a pagan, ignorant, unlearned group of people can recognize this with one sermon, why is it that those of us who possess the entire completed word of God and hear sermon after sermon after sermon, we read passage after passage, we hear message after message, don't get it. And continue to live in sin. Beloved, I believe it's because we're taking advantage of the mercy and grace of God. And to abuse the merciful patience of God is disrespectfully using Him. It is a mockery and spitting in the face of Almighty God. But not play with these things. One last bit here. Look at verse 10. It says, And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. A couple things in this verse that can be misunderstood and confusing if we're not careful is for God to repent. And then it talks about him, God, repenting of the evil. So these two words, repent and evil, we need to understand To repent is simply to turn away from. It is to change direction. In other words, this is the direction he was going to go, and now he turned from. In other words, he was on his way to give to the the people of Nineveh exactly what they did. But when they turned and they asked for mercy, he stopped. This is not saying he was doing something wrong. It was he responded to their cry for mercy. But the second thing that we need to understand is this idea of evil. Evil does not always mean sin. The word that we have here for evil is the word that can be translated as calamity or something bad to take place. My friends, I have never in my childhood thought that the spankings I received were anything but bad. And brothers and sisters, I got a lot of them. I got a lot of those bad, calamitous events in my life. Evil. Doesn't mean that my dad and my mama did anything wrong. But it was not enjoyable. It was bad. You see, we're not saying that God was going to do something sinful. But he had to come and he had to deliver the bad news. He had to enact justice, and it was not going to be enjoyable. It was going to be calamity. God does not push himself on people, though. He is bound by his nature. God is just, and he must maintain justice. He is righteous and must cast away all unrighteousness. You see, the problem that we have is that we measure ourselves uh, by God and not other, or by other people and not by God. But when we learn to measure ourselves by God and not other people, we realize just how imperfect we are and how flawed and faulty we have become. You see, 
Another question that I'm often asked is, how can a loving God send people to hell? They usually kind of come together. You know, what about the person that's never heard? And how can a loving God send people to hell? My friends, God does not send people to hell. They choose it of their own volition. Whether they realize it or not. You see, they choose the direction that they want. God invites them to a relationship with him, and if they say no, they have chosen the reverse. God graciously offers salvation through faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should but You want to know what works produce? Grace is unearned. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. You want payment? There's your payment. But the gift, free gift, not payment, the free gift of God is eternal life. Nineveh experienced an Old Testament precursor to the gospel. God sent by out you're going to be destroyed. They humbled themselves, called out for mercy. And God graciously responded. Today, my friends, you have been given yet again another opportunity to either turn from yourself and turn to God for the first time. Or perhaps you are born again by the Spirit of God, but you are living a life of worldliness. And it's time to turn from that and turn back to God. The word of the Lord has come to you a second time. But don't demand a third and a fourth and a fifth. You don't know when that second time is the last time. What are you going to do with that call? Looking at this in application, let me just ask you this way. Are you running from your gift? God has called you to do something. God has called you to reveal something in your life. Are you running from that? The creator of the universe has put his hand on you. The creator of the universe wants to use you in some way. Are you running from that? What about this one? Are you rejoicing in the grace of God or are you selfishly abusing his mercy? To keep expecting more and more time, I'll take care of that next week. I'll take care of that next year. I'll take care of that tomorrow. That's abusing the mercy of God. Celebrate the grace today. Don't abuse it. Don't abuse his mercy. And then last, what standard are you using to judge what you deserve? Are are you judging what you deserve by how good you are compared to other people? By how good you are compared to your husband? 
your neighbor, your boss? Or are you comparing yourself with the goodness and the graciousness of God? You see, when we compare ourselves to him, we realize how much mercy and how much grace is really involved. So what standard are you using? If you're running from him, stop. Call out for mercy today, immediately. Don't delay. You put it off, and you're wasting away the days of grace. Father, we find ourselves once more before your throne asking that you would speak to hearts, that you would use this time, Lord, to draw people to a relationship with you, that you would use this time to wake us up to the things that we are We are abusing your mercy with. And Father, help us in this, Lord, to be given over to you, to not be so quick to demand more grace or to expect more mercy, but that, Father, we would learn to obey and obey immediately. Father, help us with this. Now, Lord, I'm sure that there are some here today that that are hurting, Father, let your grace be what reminds them of just how much you love them. I'm certain, Father, that there are some here that that need a kick in the pants. Father, remind them of your mercy. Remind them of who you are. Father, for those who perhaps don't have a relationship with you, I pray, God in heaven, that today would be the day that they begin one that they hit their knees in humility and call out for mercy so that they can experience that relationship with you. Father, use this time to bring glory to yourself, I pray. For it's in your son's name I pray these things. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.